Whispering. Whispering Streets. And here is Betty Davis. Hello. He'd come to America in the steerage when he was 14 years old. And like many foreigners who have adopted this country and been adopted by it, Felix Hogarth loved it passionately and protectively. Those of us who were native-born sometimes take our privileges for granted. Felix learned English as fast as possible. He took a job as soon as he could get working papers and went to night school and saved his money until he had enough to open a tiny neighborhood store. And the store prospered, and Felix prospered too. At least everybody thought so. But a month after his 60th birthday, he faced his wife bleakly. Ah, we are in trouble, Bertha. We're in trouble. What do you mean? Our bank account, well, it is pretty close to zero, and we have to buy a new stock, or we'll have nothing to sell. And we cannot buy on credit alone. But I thought we had over $1,000 in the savings bank. With a thousand dollars, you can buy plenty of stuff, Felix. Well, one or two things came up, and uh... no. I was wondering who paid for the wheelchair you ordered for the little William Floyd. Well, but... I was wondering who paid for Mrs. Adams' operation. Meet my eyes, Felix. Try and meet my eyes. Don't look over my shoulder. Look at me, Felix. Well, it isn't as if I wasted the money, Bertha, as if I'd gambled it away. You didn't gambled on people, Felix. That's the trouble. You have clear weather friends, hundreds of them, but what good will they do you now? And it isn't my fault that for the most part my friends aren't well fixed. It isn't your fault. It's your misfortune. I, well, it isn't only that I'm... That you're generous to a fault. Go on, Felix. I should be generous. I should be grateful. When I came to this country as a boy, I was penniless and alone, and people here were kind to me and helped me. It is my duty, my privilege, to help other people when they're in trouble. It was all right to be generous when you are a younger man, but now you are over six. Ah, even so, I can begin again if I have to. I am only two years younger than you are, and I can't begin again. I'm too tired to begin again. When you are giving away your money, Felix, you never thought of me, did you? Oh, now you are making me feel like a cheat for the fire. Felix, darling, <laughs> you may be foolish, but you are not a cheat. Well, if you go down, I go down with you. The captain lets you, and the mate lets me, of a sinking ship. The town needs your store, Felix, but I'm not so sure the townspeople don't think you are an easy mark. What you're saying, Bertha, it hurts. Did you ever hear about man's ingratitude to man? I have never put any stock in that saying. It is an ugly saying. It's ugly, but it's true. Do you think you can get a loan from the bank? Loan from the... I, I haven't anything to offer for collateral, and as I just told you, my stock's low, and a lot of it is dated. Yes, and I might as well tell you this, too, Bertha. I, I had to take an extra mortgage on the store a while ago. And why? Well, when Emily Claremont got so very sick, she 
she was out alone in the world, you know that, Bertha. She, she, she had to be kept in comfort until the end. And then she had to be buried decently. She was an old woman, a dear old woman. And Bertha, she was my store's first customer. And so, because of her, you do not have a store. Emily herself would not have wanted it that way. Part of a vicious circle? Now, who would that be? Well, I was sort of expecting the reverend. Oh, my goodness. Now, what does he want? He's collecting for the church, the carpet front. Go on, Felix. Well, Bertha, even though we are in a bad spot, we can't afford to give him five dollars. Oh, don't look at me that way, dear. What is five dollars at a time like this? After all, it is for the church. Go on. And the reverend came to see me every day when I was down with arthritis. He's a fine young fellow. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back again. But first... You see a bunch of boys killing time on a busy street corner. Right away, you smell trouble. What are those kids up to? Why aren't they out playing games or swimming or hiking or any one of a thousand constructive things a kid can do that beats loafing on the streets? You're right to brood about the subject because this is the worst kind of waste. A waste of one of America's most precious assets, boy power. But don't be too quick to blame the kids. Too often they haven't got a place to swim or hike. Maybe they don't have the equipment, facilities, or leadership for team sports and team projects. This is where you can help. Help build that wasted boy power into a constructive, productive force by supporting the Boy Scouts in your area. Scouting provides the guidance, the leadership, and facilities it takes to help build boys into solid, vigorous citizens. America's manpower begins with boy power. Support your local council, Boy Scouts of America. Back to our story with Betty Davis. What can you do with a man like that? Bertha Hogarth left the young minister into the house, and he had a cup of tea and cookies, and went away with a $10 contribution. And no more was said about the sinking ship, which was Hogarth's general store. It was a hot afternoon for the last week in June. Felix was mopping his forehead. Ooh, huh? I guess it's going to be a real old-fashioned summer. Yes, I guess it's going to be sweltering. Oh, I wish we could have air conditioning in the store, in the house. <laughs> I tell myself there'll be air conditioning for all of us in heaven. Of course, Bertha, it'll be hotter than the hottest summer for those of us who go to the other places. <laughs> no, you needn't worry about that, dear. Much as I scold you, much as I pick on you, I love you. As if I didn't know it. Ah, don't you worry. Something will happen, Bertha. Something always has before. I'll go see Mr. Sherrill at the bank tomorrow, and we'll have a little talk. After all, when the kids were running wild a couple of years ago and broke the big plate glass window in the store out of sheer devilment, well, Tom Sherrill was the ringleader, and... I didn't do anything about it. Oh, yes, you did. You had Tom and the other boys come over to the house, and you gave them soft drinks and 
eaten some of my best chocolate cake? Oh. And you talked about what it meant to our country to, to have young fellows who are straight and honest and fair, who didn't injure property or life. Uh, our country, this America, Bertha, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. <laughs> it has given us all three. went to the bank and had an interview with the president. They were fellow members of two clubs. They sat together at the long table during board of trade meetings. They were friends. But when Felix stated his business and outlined the situation, Emmett Sherrill shook his head. Good heavens, Felix. I didn't dream that you were in such a spot. It's tragic. Well, it came on so gradually I didn't realize it myself. It's just one of those things, Emmett. Trust one of those things. Uh, the point is, if I can buy a new stock, we'll be back into running. All, all I need is a little extra capital to pay a deposit. The last time I was in your store, Felix, you were giving money to a man with the most furtive eyes I'd ever seen. I stood aside as the man shambled out of the store, and as he crossed the threshold, he started to grin. Because he'd put something over on oh. you. I watched Felix... And he went straight across the street to Mullen Saloon. Now, that was less than a week ago. Well, yes, I remember the incident. He, he told me he had a wife and kids and that they were waiting for him at the bus station to go to his father's farm where they would live in comfort, but that he couldn't manage the bus fare. And I didn't see him go in the saloon. I, I'm glad I didn't. I wish he'd been telling me the truth. And he might have been... Perhaps he wanted to use Mullen's phone. And how would I feel if I did not give money to a man who really needed it? Oh, you're incorrigible, no doubt of that. <laughs> and that's why you're a bad risk. Now, perhaps if you'd accept a personal loan from me as an individual. Oh, no, we're, we're such good friends, Emmett. I, I wouldn't want to accept a loan from you. But that's just why I'm offering it, because we're friends. Emmett. If I could get a loan from the bank, I could pay it back little by little. But with you, I would want to pay it back quicker than I possibly could. And besides, you have a son to put through college in another year or so, and your daughter is being married in October. Haven't you any personal collateral, Felix, leaving the store out of it? Bertha has her wedding ring and the silver coffee service that was the mother's. Mm. They wouldn't bring much in the open market. I, I've got a watch that was my grandfather's, but it wouldn't bring much either. Out back of the store in the shed, I've got barrels and barrels of old merchandise that nobody would want. And... Uh, I'll run along, Emmett. How's your boy, Huston? Oh, he's coming along fine. Due to the good influence of a certain man named Felix Hogan. I'll never forget what you did for my boy, Felix. Oh, I didn't do anything. Tom has your blood in his veins, Emmett. He couldn't go far wrong. Of course not. Well, I must be getting along. I'm taking up too much of your time. I wish you'd reconsider and accept that personal loan. No. A loan from the bank would be different, as I just said. But a personal loan? No, that is another thing. 
sat at his desk for a long while after Felix Hogarth had left. This was a good man, a good American, and yet he was being let down by his neighbor, by his community. No security, no collateral, nothing. And though he wouldn't borrow money, he'd soon be living on borrowed time. Things that Felix had said came back to Emmett. Bertha has her wedding ring and the silver coffee service. It was a mother's. That wouldn't bring much in the open market, Emmett. You're right about that. I, I, I've got a watch that was my grandfather's, but it wouldn't bring much either. No, it wouldn't. Out back of the store in the shed, I've got barrels and barrels of old merchandise that nobody'd want. Hello, Sam. Listen, Sam, get on the phone and call everyone you know. Tell them to be at my house at 8 o'clock tonight. That's right, it's important. I'll be calling, too. See you at 8. Hello, Lucy. Uh, this is Emmett Sherrill. Uh, can you be at my house tonight at 8? Fine. And, Lucy, bring all your friends. That's right, a big surprise. <laughs> My house, 8 tonight. Big plan for the 4th of July. Well, Bertha, this is a special day. It is Independence Day. Yes, Felix. But for ourselves, we are not independent anymore. It will be a sad day to have our store taken away from us. You see, all that's left being sold under an auctioneer's hammer. Paid debt. Oh, time enough to talk about that when it happens. This is a day of truce, Bertha. I'm... I'll get it. I'll get it. Anybody wants to come over for supper, I'll say that we are busy. We haven't much food in the house. We could manage a picnic supper if anybody wanted to come over. It would be nice to have company. In just a moment, Betty Davis will be back. You know, it's the little things that count. Sometimes we forget that. But Captain Andrew DeMore, communications officer, 43rd Air Division headquarters at Itazuki Air Base, and Mrs. DeMore didn't forget. They returned to the scene of their first station in Japan to bid farewell to many local friends before their return to the States. Captain DeMore admitted the existence of common problems in his assignments, but declared... These were all solved by mutual understanding and assistance. When Colonel Ladson G. Eskridge, Jr., commander of the 43rd Air Division, heard of the DeMore's visit, he said, Friendly gestures like this farewell visit illustrate that we are aware of our responsibilities in Japanese communities. And this is an example of what a devoted couple can accomplish concerning good community relations. By their illustration, Captain and Mrs. DeMore have given us all a thought to remember. We are Americans. As we go, so goes America. And now, back to our story with Betty Davis. Sitting there on the porch, Felix Hogarth was indeed experiencing a moment of truth. A truth that he knew couldn't last very long, but a truth. Nevertheless, 
Tomorrow was another day. Manna might fall from heaven, although it never had before. The sun felt good on his lifted face. He closed his eyes for a moment. But he opened them quickly when the screen door opened and banged shut. Bertha was moving toward him across the porch, and she was breathless. Felix, huh? Felix, that was a call from Mr. Shell. Emmett? Felix, he says something is happening down at the store, and you had better get there right away. Kids with firecrackers. Oh, Bertha, if it's a fire, I, I didn't have the money to renew the insurance. It'll be the end. Hey, you stay here, dear. I'll be back as soon as I can. Do you think I'll let you go alone? When there's new kind of trouble brewing, perhaps? He didn't say anything about fire, but it may be vandals. Remember when the boys broke the windows? Come, Felix. No matter what it is, we'll see it happen together. The store was only a couple of blocks from their home. But Bertha and Felix hurried down the quiet street, with flags flying on either side of it. They knew utter panic. Their hands reached out in clasp as they approached the store, for the door was open. They stepped inside and stopped short, for it was crowded with people, all buying from counters that were piled high with merchandise which wasn't worth selling, stock that had been in the shed for many a long year. Emmett Sherrill met them on the threshold. You're having a bargain sale, Felix. I am having a bargain. And how? Hello, Bertha. You said a bargain sale? But this is a holiday. Well, I'm store manager for the holiday. The clerks are men and women who've known you for years, who've accepted your help and friendship for years. The customers are, well, the whole town. We put a couple of chairs on a little platform for you and Bertha, Felix. We want you to watch the sale. But, but who will want to buy stock that's left over from, from the year one, Emmett? It doesn't figure. Well, we've proved that everybody in town wants to buy, Felix. Now, you just sit down quietly and watch. It was all over, and Bertha and Felix were back on their porch again, watching fireflies drift through the gathering dusk. Every so often, Bertha dabbed at her eyes, but Felix wasn't crying. He was flushed and proud. Oh, this has been a great day, dear. When the sale was over, there wasn't a bit of merchandise left. Not so much as a button or a spool of thread. <laughs> There'll be plenty of money to buy new stock, Felix. And to pay off the mortgage, too. I, I can't believe it yet. Baby's bibs were going for $5 a piece, <laughs> and a muslin nightgown brought $25. It was a nightgown I wouldn't be seen dead in, even if I... Garters for $10, old-fashioned garters with faded bows on them. Oh, and at the very end, when Mr. Shell opened up the book and made that Ah, and I wanted to crawl into the woodwork myself. Oh, now, for heaven's sake, why? 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 He asked everyone who borrowed from me to pay back their debt. Yes. I felt pretty cheap about that, but I'd never pressed anyone to return a loan or... Oh, here comes Emmett now down the street. He's turning in at our path. Hi, Emmett. Well, well, how are you two feeling now that it's all over? Including the shower. Well, I am feeling like a two-year-old. <laughs> I am done in, Mr. Shell. I'm exhausted from carrying a load of happiness after a load of heartache. Won't you sit down, Mr. Shell? Oh, thanks. Uh, 
Well, it's been a busy day. I'm glad to relax. Oh, I should think as much. Can I bring you something to drink? Cold root beer? Ginger ale? Mm, make it a lemonade without sugar. If you have any lemons. <laughs> I'm putting on weight. Of course I have lemons. I'll bring out a pitcher full. And a plate of cookies. Uh, skip the cookies, Bertha. <laughs> they counteract the lemonade. Well, <laughs> <sighs> uh, Felix, I have some checks for you. Checks? Yes, several people asked me to give them to you. Some of them had forgotten that they owed you a cent. Oh. <laughs> and I'm betting there'll be more checks in tomorrow's mail. Yes? It looks as if you'll be on Easy Street, Felix, from now on. Oh? But, Emmett, I always have been on Easy Street. I live in a good town, in the best country in the world. I have a wife who loves me and friends. Yes. Emmett, I'm a very lucky man. be a medium of exchange, but it isn't the most important thing in the world, believe me. When Felix Hogarth was at rock bottom, Emmett Sherrill, who couldn't give him a loan from the bank, but begged him to accept a personal loan, came to the rescue. But who came to Emmett's rescue when he faced trouble of another sort? again is Betty Davis. Sometimes a man literally feels that he has nowhere to turn and no one in whom he can confide. That's when the bottom drops out of his world and he loses his confidence. You'll agree with me that Emmett Sherrill didn't deserve his bad luck and you'll hope that help will come to him from some unexpected source when I bring you his story. Until then, this is Betty Davis saying goodbye from the whispering street. Today's program was written by Margaret E. Sankster. Featured in the cast were Helen Plebe, Lou Merrill, and John Stevenson. Whispering Streets was directed by Gordon P. Hughes and produced by Ted Lloyd. Your announcer is Dan Coverley. Whispering Streets has come to you through the worldwide facilities of the United States Armed Forces Radio and Television Service.